everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Engage with Eagle Forum. I'm Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum. During the last episode of Engage, you heard from Eagle Forum's vice president, Kathy Adams, about how she dove right into an issue that she never thought in a million years she would handle. That was climate change. So we wanted to delve further into the issue, and I've asked one of the leading experts on free market environmentalism to join me to talk about some of the problems that we are facing today when it comes to this topic. So first of all, let me tell you a little bit about him. Myron Ebel is the director of Competitive Enterprise Institute's Center for Energy Environment, which is one of the most effective advocates for free market environmentalism. He also chairs the Cooler Heads Coalition, an ad hoc coalition of over two dozen nonprofit groups that question global warming alarmism and oppose energy rationing policies. Myron led the Trump Presidential Transitions Agency Action Team for the Environmental Protection Agency in 2016 and January 2017. CEI and the Cooler Heads Coalition led the successful decade-long fight to to defeat cap-and-trade legislation and more recently led the effort to convince President Trump to withdraw from the Paris Climate Treaty. Yay! (laughs) His involvement in the transition led to public protests and marches in several cities in America and in Europe. He has had multiple media appearances in various outlets, including C-SPAN and Fox News. You can find his writings in various print media, such as The Federalist, which is one of our favorites. Thank you for joining me today. It's good to be with you, Tabitha. So let's jump in on a problem that we're all facing today, which is the absurd gas prices. You know, a lot of us will go to the pumps and we see those little Biden stickers where it's pointing and it says, I did this. Now... Let's, let's dive into the details of what he actually did. So, so what is the reason for the increase in gas prices recently? Yes. Well, I was uh, recently in California and, and there I saw the uh, gas pumps with $6 plus per gallon. So maybe that's where we're all headed is above six or even seven. Uh, look, at the beginning of the Biden presidency and still during the shutdown, demand for gasoline had gone down and therefore production had gone down and prices had gone down. So it was inevitable that as the economy came back and the shutdown was ended, that prices were going to go up somewhat. But President Biden has made his own uh, distinctive contributions because from day one, the day he was inaugurated, he said, we're going to get out of the climate. We're going to get back into the Paris Climate Treaty. We're going to suspend oil and gas leasing on federal land. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, cancel a lot of uh, uh, pipelines or not approve pipelines. Uh, and essentially, he then told the oil and gas industry that we don't need you anymore, and coal as well. That by you know a date certain, 2030, 2035, it it varies. We're going to be out of the business, uh, you guys can can go away because everybody will be driving electric vehicles. So uh, this is, uh, you know, the oil and gas industry heard that and they have, why would you invest in ramping up production if 
you've been told that you're not needed anymore and we're going to put you out of business. So that's where we, that's where we get these high gas prices. The gas prices were going to go up, but they've gone up a lot because every single thing President Biden and his administration have done is designed to uh, uh, hamper oil production. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has uh, made all this worse, but it just shows that when you're not prepared and when you're pursuing policies that that are uh, risky, uh, you're, if anything bad happens, if a crisis happens, uh, the oil industry can't respond immediately to this crisis because it was so under under uh, pressure before the crisis. So now we're we're seeing no end to the increases. Yeah, that's terrible. I I keep seeing the prices tick up and I I you know, I'm a, a native West Virginian, so coal country mm-hmm. all the way. But you have to drive 20 30 minutes to get to the nearest grocery store. And so when these people go to the polls to vote, they're going to have that in mind that they are pinching pennies in order just to drive to their work or to their church or wherever they want to go. So this, this is a really terrible situation that we're in right now. Well, Um, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm a rural agro-American from, from the West and, you know, people have to have big rigs for their work. mm -hmm. Uh, They have to drive long distances. It's not like a little short a suburban commute in a in a, a medium-sized city. Uh, people have to have pickup trucks to haul the things that they work with. So um, you know, this is uh, this is really, I think, hurting rural Americans uh, more than anyone else. Yeah, exactly. Now, I've heard that the U.S. makes enough oil for us to be sustainable, but we are exploiting. Or sorry. We are exporting our oil and importing foreign oil. So what's the story behind that? Well, the United States uh, uh, became dependent upon foreign imports starting in 1957. And uh, U.S. production went down uh, uh, for a long time until the shale oil and gas revolution that started around 2007, 2008. So we were uh, a net importer of several hundred billion dollars of oil and, and finished products like gasoline and diesel for a number of years. But the shale revolution combined with the Trump deregulatory agenda made the United States self-sufficient in oil and natural gas uh, starting in 2019. And uh, if it weren't for the actions of the uh, Biden administration, I believe we would still be uh, self-sufficient in oil and natural gas. However, that does not mean that we don't export some products and and crude oil and import others because uh, the places where it's produced in the United States, primarily, uh, especially Texas and New Mexico and the Gulf uh, offshore means that uh, that's not convenient for for the refineries on the west coast so so we export oil from the gulf uh, states louisiana texas uh, and import oil on the west coast from from other places so uh, but the the question is are we self-sufficient or not are we are we producing more than we're using so uh trump and the shell revolution made us self-sufficient now we're going back to being dependent upon uh foreign imports that's really unfortunate, um, especially in a situation where you mentioned before, where we have the Ukrainian war, then it 
puts us in a bind when we need the resources that we have here in, in the United States. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, uh, the problem is that the oil industry has tremendous capacity to respond to, to higher demand and it's called higher prices. When prices go up, investors will say, hey, I better invest in oil. It's looking really good. Uh, but if you've been told that we don't need you anymore and we're going to put you out of business, uh, investors are not rushing to the oil industry and saying, oh, these high prices mean that we want to invest in new production. What they're doing is Wall Street is telling the oil companies, hey, uh, you know, maximize your profits now, uh, send as much money to, to us and to, to shareholders as you can. And we'll, because new investment isn't going to pay out over the long term, why should you invest uh, billions and billions of dollars in new production if the government is going to tell you, no, you can't sell it? So there is, um, there's a real disconnect here between reality and what the Biden administration is trying to do. Yeah, that seems to be a common theme with just the <laughs> issue these days. <laughs> yes. So, you know, this isn't the only crisis we're dealing with, uh, the, you know, increasing gas prices. There are other shortages going on. Um, how, it, it, is it just a coincidence that we are facing the high gas prices and, and other shortages and delays in, in the whole chain of command? Uh, the higher energy prices, uh, particularly gasoline and diesel, are clearly uh, responsible for a lot of the higher prices throughout the economy. Because anything that you use, any material product, has to be transported. And if, uh, if the price of transport has, has doubled in terms of the cost of, of diesel fuel, um, that's going to raise prices. So every time you get uh, you go to the grocery store, you're buying groceries that have been delivered in many cases from you know uh, hundreds or even thousands of miles away. Uh, that requires a lot of energy. Secondly, uh, in particular, agriculture is dependent upon uh, uh, fertilizer. Uh, the modern agricultural economy uses a lot of ammonia, which is produced from primarily from natural gas. So the price of natural gas is, is at a very high right now, and that is causing uh, 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 agriculture uh, production costs to go up. On top of that, uh, Ukraine and Russia are two of the world's largest wheat growers. And uh, I don't know that Ukraine is gonna get in a, much of a crop this year. And uh, we don't know, well, I suppose Russia will, but, but that shrinking, shrinking of the supply of wheat is, is going to cause uh, food price increases and shortages and potentially in some very poor countries, uh, starvation in the next year or so. That's really sad. Um, is there anything domestically that we can do to help that? Or is it something that we just have to ride out until things <laughs> kind of balance each other out again? Well, uh, the Biden administration, of course, has taken actions that make the problem worse. Um, we have this thing called the ethanol mandate, the bl uh, blending mandate uh, to put uh, corn ethanol into our gasoline supplies. And instead of suspending that so that farmers could grow more corn for food and less for fuel, um, they, they have actually 
move to increase the ethanol mandate on the grounds that it will lower gasoline prices. But if, if farmers were allowed to, to grow more corn uh, and more wheat uh, and more soybeans, that, that could help make up for what's being lost from uh, Ukraine. Instead, uh, a, a bunch of, of uh, I forget which, which association, they wrote a letter to Biden right after the uh, Russia's invasion started and said, you know, we have a lot of land in this country set aside in something called the Conservation Reserve Program, and we don't, we aren't farming it. We're just letting it, you know, natural grasses and things uh, take over. Uh, if if you could take the four million acres of prime farmland there uh, among these, I think it's around sixteen million acres of uh, that's in the Conservation Reserve Program. If you would let us farm those 4 million acres of prime farmland that have been set aside. And, and uh, we could then increase our production and uh, respond to the shortage of grain that the, the Russia-Ukraine situation is causing. The, the Biden administration immediately said no. That's terrible. Well, they're controlled by the, the preservation movement and the environmental movement. Uh, that they they only do what is acceptable to the environment environmentalists. It it's crazy to me how many things are interlocking or you know yes. I mm-hmm. so when I originally started with Eagle Forum one of the things that I worked on was was the use of public lands and you know I think that was a one time deal for me because we we deal with a lot of different issues right and um and sometimes a lot of our state leaders have really strong opinions and they they advocate for uh the federal government to have less of uh, less control over public lands but um but I, I think you know this is something that isn't as popular as you know a lot of the social issues or even our like fiscal matters, but it's something to pay attention to because now we're seeing things affect us on a daily basis and and if we got more involved in the issue of public lands and um, in, in trade and um, energy and things like that. Maybe, maybe we can make a real difference, at least on the gas prices around here. <laughs> but I, I think, I mean, this conversation, in my opinion, is really eye-opening. It is is this something that Congress could step in on um, to be able to release those lands? Yes, to release the lands that have been uh, set aside for for uh, conservation. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, they could. Uh, but of course, uh, there would have to be uh, a conservative majority in Congress uh, to do that. So uh, right now, uh, anything, and of course, then of course, President Biden could veto what they did. But if they did it as part of an appropriations bill or something, as a writer, so that they could, so that President Biden had to sign it. But of course, all that takes time. And when this letter was sent by the grain, one of the grain producer associations suggesting that these 4 million acres be released for production, it was still at the beginning of the growing, of the planting season. But so now we've lost it. We're past the, mm-hmm. the spring planting, so we couldn't do it until next year. So uh, it, was, it was really a kind of an emergency uh, request that if the Biden administration had been more uh, 
rational and able to, to think about the consequences of things, they would have said, yes, we have to do this because otherwise we're risking uh, starvation uh, among poor people in poor countries. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's crazy. So, you know, we tackled uh, this issue of gas prices, but there are other, you know, energy related issues going on. What other problems are you seeing come out of the Biden administration? Oh, the list is too long. Um, I do think that the issue of uh, federal oil and gas production on federal lands and federal offshore areas is one. You know, President Biden said he's doing everything he can to lower gas prices, and yet the Biden administration is going ahead and uh, opposing uh, new oil and gas leases. There can't. There was a judge in uh, that uh, overturned a, the sale of uh, a very large tract of the Gulf uh, Coast, and, and uh, that the Trump administration got done right at the end of the Trump administration. And a judge canceled it and said, "No, you you didn't. You violated uh, you know some environmental." consideration. And the Biden administration isn't uh, appealing that. So not only are they not putting their uh, new new oil and gas leasing out, they're actually going back to the, uh, the, the things that Trump tried to do and canceling those. And you see this not only on oil and gas policy on federal lands, but on other things. Um, uh, you know, 27% of the United States is uh, federal land. Most of that's in the West. Uh, it has uh, vast resources, particularly hard rock minerals. Uh, now, one of the things that this new uh, electric economy that we're supposedly building is it requires a lot of certain critical minerals, uh, lots and lots. But the Biden administration is still opposing every new mining project in this country, every major one. Uh, and they're succeeding. A lot of them are being canceled. And a, a mining project takes billions and billions of dollars of investment, and it takes a long, long time to get your money back. So it's a, you know, you can make lots of money, but you're not going to do it for many years. So you have to get into production, which takes years, and then you have to produce for a number of years. Well, uh, in foreign countries, in Australia or Indonesia or Canada, you can get a major mining project in production in five years or so. In this country, it's 15 or 20 years. So why do they, you know, why do mining companies do it? Well, for the most part, they don't. Uh, and so President Biden says we have to have all these, you know, everybody has to move to electric vehicles, and yet they're still opposing mining projects. Uh, and uh, the, 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 the odd part of this is that he's invoked the Defense Production Act to help mining companies with handouts, but they're still opposing mining projects in, in the legal process or the permitting process. So uh, it's, it's truly goofy, and it's from a national security standpoint, and I think Eagle Forum has always been a leader on, on national security issues. From a national security standpoint, uh, we, we became self-sufficient during the Trump administration for oil and natural gas, but now we're going to be dependent upon foreign countries for the critical minerals needed to produce electric vehicles, solar panels, and windmills. Well, where does all, where does all this 
uh, mineral activity occur? Well, it occurs all over the world, but most of these critical minerals are processed in China. So we are becoming, uh, and none of them are primarily processed in the United States. So we are becoming uh, uh, dependent, we are trading energy security and independence for uh, mining insecurity and dependence on China, which in my view is just crazy. Yeah, I, I know a big plank of Biden's campaign platform was that he wanted America first. He wanted to move away from China. And, and, and it sounded very similar to what Trump said during his time in office, but there is a huge difference in the policies that came out of both. So we're not moving away from China. We're actually creating more problems that we are shipping over to China. <laughs> yes, I, I, I think this is a, a very large issue and uh, it, it, I think it should be of concern to, to Americans. Yeah, absolutely. So I, all of this sounds really terrible, but there are things that we can do. Um, we can have a voice in our states, in our uh, federal government. How can we do that? How can we move the needle just a little bit in our favor? Well, I think, uh, first of all, uh, you know, there is a solution to high gasoline prices, and it's called a recession. And once demand goes down, uh, the price of gasoline will go down. Now, that may not be very good news, but I think uh, as our economy slows down and we move into recession, I think people are going to start to see the consequences of the Biden administration's policies in a very painful way. I assume that that uh, pain and anger will be reflected uh, in the elections and in the in the uh, what the new Congress does uh, starting next January. But of course, the Biden administration still has uh, two and a half years in office, so we'll have to see. Uh, I I think one of the problems in looking at and I know this is a constant concern for for you at Eagle Forum. One of the consequences of 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 uh, elections is that the one party gets into power and the other party goes out. One thing that we've seen in the past is that Republicans, when they don't control the presidency, are uh, the Republicans in Congress are not very good at uh, leadership, at changing the direction of things. So uh, I think that uh, as the elections approach and, and the public anger and resentment uh, builds uh, as to these policies, uh, people should insist that, hey, we're not just electing new people. We're not just electing conservatives. We, we want you to actually do something. Uh, and that, uh, that will, we'll see whether that actually happens. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I've seen with each election cycle, there are different issues. Some of them are the same throughout the years, but sometimes you know, they, they take different priorities in, in different election years. And so maybe because of the situation of the gas prices and shortages and, and delays, maybe this will be a front runner going into their, their new time in office. And, and hopefully we gain that majority and we can put pressure on them to, to actually do something. So, yes, I, I don't I don't do elections here at CEI. Uh, I don't get involved in elections, but I would I would say this about policy. Uh, 
The House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, uh, created a bunch of task forces to come up with a program that the Republicans will pursue if, if they are the majority in, next year. And uh, the first task force report has six parts. It's on energy and conservation and environment. I forget the name of the task force, but it's basically on energy, climate, conservation, environment. And uh, they brought out the first part of this uh, task force report uh, recently. And there's five more parts to come. The first part says, here's what we'll do on energy uh, production. We need to raise energy production. Well, they have no significant ideas at all. It's just, uh, it's just tiny little steps that won't really do anything. So if people, uh, people should be talking to, to their members of Congress and say, hey, we, we don't need you to talk about this. We need some real policies that will make a, a difference, not these kind of tiny baby steps that uh, Kevin McCarthy's task force is proposing. And I, I, I don't know if every task force will be as disappointing as the one on energy and environment, but it's really, uh, it's kind of a joke. I mean, I don't, I don't know, uh, how can you spend that much time and come up with so little? Yeah, we find that a lot, especially going into the election season, they put out these messaging statements that right. sound good, but then, you know, you're going to have to put pen to paper and actually make a difference in our local communities. And that takes a lot of time and research and yes, perfect wording right? <laughs> um, and the public buy-in. And so um, it's, you know, it's not as simple as, you know, saying something very broadly right before an election to, to get the win. So, yeah, we're, I think we're very aware of, of all that going on. And um, we, we want the Republican majority back in Congress, but we also want them to do things. We want them to work and we want them to push through the policy that we've been advocating all along. So, um, yeah, so it should be interesting, especially on all, all of the energy policy and climate change policy how that rolls out next year and if they actually can agree and get something done on it. Yes. Yeah. So this was really enlightening, even for me. I don't work very often on these kind of policies, but they're, they're coming more to our attention that you know we need to address them immediately. There's there's no more sitting on our hands and waiting for, you know, things to, to get better. So, um, so this was a great conversation. I always, always appreciate uh, your work on this, Myron, and, and, and your organization's work as well. Thank you. And I appreciate working with you and everything you do and everything that Eagle Forum does. It's uh, you have a, an amazing record over the years. Oh, thank you. One last thing. How can our listeners follow your efforts? Well, we have a website, uh, <laughs> cei.org, cei.org, and it has our work on all, a whole range of regulatory issues, not just uh, climate and energy. Good. Yeah, I, I looked at it yesterday, and it's so easy to navigate. Oh, good. And 
there's a lot, there are a lot more issues on there that I even, I didn't even know that you guys handled. So if um, it's a regulation, we've done something on it and I thank you. I'm going to pass on your, your uh, liking our website because it's, it's quite new and uh, everybody um, worked really hard. And of course it costs a lot of money. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, thanks again. And we will be sure to send out all of that information. Um, We'll put it in our notes for our podcast, and then we'll put it on social media as well. Um, If you are listening to our podcast, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Thank you all for listening from your house to the state house to the White House. This is Engage with Eagle Forum. Mm -hmm.